This is Pastor Brandon from Olive Branch Baptist Church. You're about to hear a message from our Wednesday night Young Church service. Young Church is comprised of middle and high school students that meet weekly from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. on Wednesday nights. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this message. Consuming us. Thank you for filling us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for showing us good examples of heroes and the ultimate example in your Son, Jesus Christ. Pray that you would fill us with your word tonight and let us leave this place encouraged in our faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, take a seat, guys and gals. Thank you, YC United! Let's try that again. Thank you, YC United! There we go. They work hard every week to bring you guys worship. And I know what you guys are thinking. Saul got a whole lot more handsomer. What's up with that? (laughs) thank you zach for filling in on drums that's right did a wonderful job thank you brother for filling in uh so heroes we're finally back all right we we did two weeks and then we had yc week and then we had a week off for fourth uh, for bush gardens and then a week off for fourth of july and you guys have completely forgotten that we were even doing this but we are and uh we've got two more lessons and part one, and then just like Avengers, I'm going to make you wait a year for part two. No, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll just wait a couple weeks for part two. But we're going to finish the next two, uh, week three and week four, and then we'll take a break. And when we come back from school, we'll finish the last four weeks. So we're talking about heroes, an eight-week study on the book of Judges, the different judges of Israel. And I want to do a little bit of review with you guys. What are judges? They were heroes, right? They're not the kind of judges like they have a, a gavel and they smack it and sentence you to stuff, right? They're different. They're, they're heroes that God rose up when Israel cried out for God. Now, we also remember this cycle, right? There's a cycle. What is Israel is following God and then what? Yeah, they see something shiny, right? They worship idols, right? And then they get captured, right? They get conquered and then they cry out to God, yeah? And then they... God raises a judge, and the judge saves them, and they follow God, and then they see something shiny, and then, yeah, the cycle continues. So now, good, you guys have been refreshed in that. The last lesson we talked about, we had three points, and I want to go over those with you. If you remember, uh, we talked about <clears throat> this guy named Othniel, right? And we learned from him that the Holy Spirit is God, right? God, very God and can be in us, right? In the Old Testament, and you may have even heard Pastor Wayne talk about this if you were here on Sunday morning, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people, but it wouldn't fill them up, right? It wouldn't stay with them, because remember, Saul, right, King Saul, it said that it could leave him, right? He said the Holy Spirit left Saul, and King David prayed, please, Holy Spirit, don't leave me, right? Don't take your spirit from me, God, is what he prays. So the Spirit could come on people and then leave them. But in the New Testament, as Christians, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we get the Holy Spirit, we get filled up with Him 100% all the time, and He's never going to leave us, right? That's the cool thing. So Holy Spirit is God and can be in us. And we talked about, you know, what if we hung out with Jesus, right? That would be pretty cool. If Jesus was with us every day, we'd probably be pretty encouraged, right? We wouldn't do as many bad things. We'd be pretty encouraged because He's right there. But we have the Holy Spirit who is just like Him with us every day. Right? And Jesus can only be by one, one person. Right, He can only be physically around a certain amount of people at a time. Holy Spirit can cover all Christians at the same time. 
So it's a benefit that Jesus left this earth and had the Holy Spirit come to dwell within us. Also, we learn that the Holy Spirit can use His power in many ways, right? Not just He made some people strong. He gave some people uh, a tactical mind. He, he, he gives some people gifts, right? He does all the different things. The Holy Spirit can work however He wants. Remember, we learned that God is not a what? Tame God. That's absolutely right. He's not a tame God. He does what He wants. And a lot of times, our view of evil and God's view of evil is different. If it wasn't different, why in the world would Adam and Eve said, you know what? I want to know what good and evil is, right? They didn't trust God's definition. They wanted to take it for themselves. So they took the fruit. They ate of it. They disobeyed God, right? And now here we all are stuck with sin because of Adam and Eve. Thanks a lot, guys, right? Three, we learned that heroes are made heroes. They're not born heroes, right? All heroes are born, right? If you're a person, you've been born at some point, or maybe you're almost born. But if you're a person, right, if you're a human, you've been born. So all heroes have been born, but they weren't born that way. They weren't born heroes. They were made into heroes through their life experiences, through the Holy Spirit. And so we learned those three things. We also learned a little bit about the history, right? Israelites was commanded to spare nothing that breathes in the land of Canaan, right? And what did they do? They spared a bunch of people. They were like, "Mm, maybe we can make allies. Maybe we can marry some of our daughters off and make political alliances, right? They didn't do what God told them to do. He said, wipe everything out. And they didn't do it. So then God said, well, you know, I told you, I'm not going to break my covenant with you, but you have disobeyed me. So these people that you decided not to drive out are going to be a thorn in your side, right? They're going to bother you for a really long time. Any of you guys like, who, who likes to run? Let's be honest. I've said this a couple times. Running's not a sport. It's part of a sport, right? The only reason you'll see me running is away from a bear or to an ice cream truck, all right? And if I'm having trouble get there, sometimes I get a stitch in my side. You guys ever get that when you run? Yeah, that hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, it's kind of like a thorn, right? Thorn in your side. That's what it feels like. Oh, I don't like that, right? That's how they felt with these people still being there, okay? These were the same people that would capture them, that would take over them, that would defeat them over and over and over again. So the Israelites can't just expect God to just take care of everything, Instead, he's going to let them suffer a little bit, let them be what they want to be, follow the, the, the idols that they want to follow, and then when they cry out, he's not just going to take care of it, he's going to send a judge, right? And a judge is going to keep peace in the land for a certain amount of years, and then bye-bye, right? He's dead. So then they see something shiny, and they worship that, and they get captured and defeated, and then they cry out to God, and the cycle continues again. Well, that's where we're going to pick up. We drop off at Othniel, right? He, he lived for a certain amount of years, and now he's gone, okay? He went bye-bye. But here's something that I want to mention to you before we get started, because I want you guys to know this. Did you know that 10% of all people in the world, all 7 point something billion people in the world, 10% have the same affliction? Did you know that? Yeah, they do. What is 10% of 7 billion? That's like 700 million or so. 700 million people in the world have the same affliction. They're left-handed. Did you know that? How many of you are left-handed? There you go. Okay. So you guys are already breaking the 10% because that's more, that's more than, I can tell you, out of the 40 people that's here tonight, that was more than four. So you're already doing better, right? You're, you're on the rise. But right now, 10% of all people in the world are left-handed, right? And think about the disadvantages that come with that. I, I mean, I'm not saying like, ha, you're left-handed, you suck. But I mean, think about how the world is set up. Cars are meant to be driven right-handed. Instruments are meant to be played 
right-handed. Golf clubs, right-handed. Okay? Did you know, not only, yeah, books. <laughs> That's exactly right. I didn't even think of that one. Good job. All right. So most of the things in the world are meant for right-handed people. So you lefties, sorry, you get a little bit of stuff. Right? Jimi Hendrix had to flop the strings on his guitar, swap them the upside-down way to play, because he was like, I can't do this. For a long time in our country, in, in, in multiple cultures, they would actually tie, if you could not write right-handed, and if you try to write left-handed, they would tie your hand behind your back all day long, and you'd have to learn to use your right hand. Yeah, and that only changed like 50 years ago. <laughs> not very long, okay? Like in the 1960s, they were like, okay, maybe we should let them write with their left hand, Okay? So that number has grown, but it didn't used to be so big. So I just want you guys to, to keep that in mind, okay? And here's what we come to. If we're going to open up the book of Judges, we're going to be in chapter 3. We're picking up at the end of Othniel, so we're going to be in verse 12 to start. And here is what happens. The cycle continues. Othniel, has, they have 40 years of peace with him, and then Israel decides to turn away, and the cycle begins Again, and here is what it says. The Israelites did again what is evil in the Lord's sight. Again. This is going to be a theme. They keep doing it. They did again what is evil in the Lord's sight. And God gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel because they had done what is evil in the Lord's sight. Okay? Then it says the Israelites served Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Okay. So Othniel, he's there. They get conquered by one king. Now King Eglon, he joins forces with a couple different groups, Ammonites and Amechalites, okay? And these are really powerful warriors. They're raiders. They have good military skills. And they increase the oppression. They did even more. Now, remember with Othniel, God raised Othniel after how many years? Does anybody have a clue? You can even sneak in your Bible a few verses before and see. How many years until God raised Othniel? No. 59. No, less. 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 More. 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 Eight years. Yeah, there you go. You guys finally got there. So eight years of oppression until God raised Othniel. Now, Othniel is dead. They've had peace for 40 years. And Othniel is dead. And God decides... Well, it's not really God's decision, it's also Israel's, but there's 18 years, right? It says the Israelites served King Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Why? Why do you think that is? Because he wanted to? Okay. What's that? Right. But why did it take 18 years this time instead of eight? Could be. What's that? Yes, but why? You guys are focusing on God. That's true. What does Israel have to do for God to raise a judge? They waited 18 years. Do you ever think maybe the reason that it was 18 years was because they were stubborn? Yeah. How many of you, when you get caught in a sin one time, you know, you, you might be quick to, okay, I messed up, I'm sorry. When you get caught a second time, you know you're going to get in big trouble, right? If your parents catch you doing something the second time, you're like, ooh, so you're going to wait a little while to reveal that one, right? It's kind of what I think happened with them. Eight years goes by, they're like, okay, God, cry out. So part of it may be that, you know, they're, they're stubborn. They're not going to do it. Part of it may be they're embarrassed. Oh, 
gosh, we have to go to God. It takes a little bit longer for them to, to come to their senses and go, okay, well, this oppression sucks, so maybe we should cry out to God now. So I want you to think about that, because, because that happens in our lives a lot of times. We may mess up one time, and we're quick to repent, but when we keep messing up, it takes longer and longer to repent. But finally, they cry out to God, and after 18 years, Israel cries out, and we see that in verse 15, at the very beginning. It says, then Israelites cried out to the Lord, and God raises this judge, and look at the second part of the verse. It says, he raised up Ehu, son of Gerah, a left-handed Benjaminite, as a deliverer for them. The Israelites sent him to Eglon, king of Moab, with tribute money. Okay. So verse 15 tells us about this guy, Ehud, or Ehud, or however you want to say it, all right? I think Ehud is close. I don't know. We can ask him when we get to heaven. But he's the son of Gerah. He's a left-handed Benjaminite, or how they would say it, Benjaminite, okay? Benjamin, that's what they say, Benjamin. And what does Benjamin mean? This is what I think is hilarious. What does the Hebrew word Benjamin mean? Think all the way back to Joseph and his son Benjamin, or Benjamin. It means son of my right hand. So he belongs to the tribe of Benjamin, and he's left-handed. God has a sense of humor, I'm just saying. Uh, so anyways, so under the tribe of son of my right hand, and he's left-handed. So that's pretty neat. And here's the thing about Ehud. He's a cunning assassin. All right, and his story is pretty cool. All right, we, we a lot of times see the Old Testament uh, as kind of a, a collection of boring stories. It's like, all right, there's some cool stuff, and then, then we get to the New Testament, it really picks up. But this is not one of those boring stories. It's not like the book of Numbers where you're just reading genealogies. This is a pretty crazy story. And the story kind of reads like something out of the Assassin's Creed games. Okay, have any of you guys played Assassin's Creed? Yeah, yeah you always like, you like that game? See, that was, uh, that was right when I was like, eh, this isn't fun anymore. I used to play Prince of Persia. That was like my deal, all right? Then Assassin's Creed came along. I played like two minutes, and I quit. But my little brother loves it to death, all right? He, he just plays it all the time. Um, but that's kind of what he was like. He was like, uh, what's the dude's name? Hold on, hold on. I can think of it. Ezio? Is that one? Is that an assassin? Hey, there you go. Ezio Auditorium. What's the other one? I don't know. Altair? Okay, see? I kind of got it. So let's add Ehud into the Brotherhood of Assassins, okay? Because that's what he was. And his, it's kind of cool because God calls him to action. And it's not a boring story. It's a really cool story. And it's, it's really filled with detail, which is really neat. And here's what I want you guys to, to see. When the Holy Spirit would come on the judges, a lot of times it would imbue them with some sort of power. With, uh, with Ehud, it, it didn't do that. He was more like, if we talk about our modern day heroes, he was more like a Batman right? Except for without the money. He was just, you know, crazy, all right? And he was an assassin. He was like a ninja, okay? And so he's kind of like Batman. He didn't have any powers, but he used what he had, just like Batman, right? He had ninjutsu training, right? He had money, and those money provided gadgets, right? And he was crazy, right? And he was afraid of bats, so he used that, right? He even used his disadvantage, right? And that's kind of what Ehud ends up doing. He uses what would th we'd think is his disadvantage as his strength. Because remember, Batman, right, he's afraid of bats. So he's like, you know what, if I'm afraid of bats, you're going to be afraid of bats too. So he puts on a bat costume and scares people, right? That's what he does. Huh? I don't know. I don't think so. He's also afraid of, uh, you know, like his parents got killed, so that kind of scares him. So he kills parents. No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't do that. 
in the new canon, the new DCU, he does kill people's parents. All those bad guys probably have kids, and he kills them. That's just how it works. I don't know why. That's that Batman. Blame Ben Affleck. I'm just kidding. I like him. All right, let's get back on track. I'm already lost. But Ehud uses his disadvantage as an advantage in a way. He's a very unique warrior. He uses his uh, normal attributes, but also his brain, he thinks. He's a unique warrior because he's left-handed, but he comes from the tribe of Benjamin, which means uh, right hand. The other thing is, he, the Bible kind of indicates he might not have only been left-handed. He might have been ambidextrous. Right? He might have been able to use both hands. But we know he at least is able to use his left hand. Uh, so that's kind of how the story goes. We don't know for sure. And this skill allows him to be overlooked. And this is what I like about it. This is kind of where he's an assassin. If you read in verse 16, it says, Ehud made himself a double-edged sword that was 18 inches long, about that long. He strapped it to his right thigh under his clothes. Pause. If you're right-handed, it doesn't make sense to reach like this to grab your sword, right? Put your sheath over here. Pull it like this. So he puts it on his right side for a reason. Let's kind of figure out what that reason is. Yeah, that he is left-handed. But if he's ambidextrous, why would he put it on that side? That's right. <laughs> we'll find out. Just hold on until next episode. No, I'm just kidding. We're gonna we're gonna conquer it this episode. This is the thing. He that's right, Dragon Ball Z. We won't make you wait ten episodes for them to power up though. So here's what he does. He uses his brains, and he says, you know what? I'm going to pay tribute, or like kind of our day. He's like, I'm going to bring my taxes, right? This guy conquered us. Let's bring him some of our money. So he uses that to gain access, right? Just like Batman. Sometimes he uses his Bruce Wayne status to get into places he normally couldn't get in, like as Batman. So he's like, all right, I'm going to pay some taxes. And so he gains access. Look at verse 17. It says, and brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was extremely a fat man. He was extremely fat. This story is detailed, and that's going to be important later. <laughs> Verse 18, when Ehud finished presenting the tribute, he dismissed the people who carried it. So people bring the tribute. He says, all right, I'm done with you guys. Okay, And the king's happy, right? Because he just got a bunch of money. Okay, He gains this privacy by bringing a secret message. Check this out in verse 19. At the carved images near Gilgal, he returned and said, King Eglon, I have a secret message for you. The king called for silence, and all the attendants left him. So check this out. It says, at the carved images near Giglaw. So basically what he's doing, I think, these are the carved images that Eglon is worshiping. So he's using his religious beliefs kind of against him a little bit. So he meets him. He gets him where, right where he wants him to be. And he says, I've got a secret message. And the king gets everybody out of the room. Okay. Then in verse 20. It says, Then Ehud approached him while he was sitting alone in his room upstairs where it was cool. Ehud said, I have a word from God for you. And the king stood up from his throne. Okay? So the king stands up, and then Ehud delivers the message that he promised, the message from God. And I love the descriptive writing that it uses here. Like I said, the Bible's not boring, especially right here. In verse 21, it says this, Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, pause. So check this out. They would have known this is an enemy, and they would have checked him ahead of time to make sure he didn't have any hidden swords, right? But knowing that most people are right-handed, they didn't check his right thigh. They only checked his left thigh. So him using his disadvantage was able to sneak a sword in and get alone with the king when normally he wouldn't have been able to. 
right? It's like those movies. I always watch those movies where like they, they have to walk in. Or I watched one recently. I wouldn't recommend it because uh, it's a terrible but really funny movie, but don't watch it. Uh, but it was called Elvis and Nixon. And, and there's this scene where Elvis shows up to the White House and he wants to talk to President Nixon. And they like stop him and he, he's like, all right, you got to get rid of your sidearm. So he takes out his sidearm and sets it down. He's like, all right, but what about this one and this one and this one? And pulls one out of his ankle and one over here. And he pulls out like 20 guns, right? And, and I, or like The Matrix. Have you even seen The Matrix? Of course not. It's rated R. You can't watch it. But anyways, if you had... You would see that scene when they show up to like, the, they walk through and the, the metal detector gets them and they open up their trench coat and they got like a hundred guns, right? That's kind of like what they're trying to check for. They don't have guns, but they have swords. So they check his left side, there's nothing there, but he conceals it on his right thigh. So then it says this when we get down there in verse 21, Ehud reached in with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh and plunged it into Eglon's belly. This is what I think is really funny. Verse 22. Even the handle went in after the blade because Eglon's fat closed in over it so that Ehud did not withdraw the sword from his belly and Eglon's insides came out. <laughs> this is in the Bible? Yeah, it's in the Bible. Check this out. This is like an action movie. All right? This is what's happened. So big husky guy, sword goes in. It doesn't come out because it gets stuck, right? And then his guts come out everywhere, okay? He dies. He falls down. So the entire dagger sword disappears. Then in verse 23, we see his escape plan. It says this, Edhu escaped by way of the porch, closing and locking doors from the upstairs room behind him. So he closes and locks the doors, and then he escapes through the porch. Okay, now some translations translate a little bit differently. This was probably a euphemism. Does anybody know what that word means? You, right. It's to like soften the meaning of the word, right? A euphemism. You would use it like, instead of saying, well, that person died, you would say they passed away, right? That's right, they kicked the bucket, right? Or instead of saying, well, I'm going to go take a dump, right? You say, I need to use the restroom, right? That, that is a euphemism, okay? So this, the, the Hebrew language, they try to like say things really delicately, and so they sometimes use euphemisms. There's another place in the Bible where this guy comes up and he's, they're, they're testing out their gods. And he says, you know what? I believe my God's the real God. So he brings a sacrifice. God strikes it with lightning and it comes on fire. And then this other group of people are like doing all these rituals. They're dancing and they're like cutting themselves because they're weird. And they're trying to get their God to do something. And their God doesn't show up. And the guy actually says, well, what is your God doing? Is, is he taking, is he laying on his side? And that doesn't really make sense in English translation. It's because it's a euphemism. He was saying, is your God on the toilet? Is that why he's not here? So it's a euphemism, and Hebrews use it all the time. And this euphemism right here, this word porch, could also mean latrine. Anybody know what a latrine is? Yeah, it's potty, right? It's the sewers, okay? So <laughs> here's, here's kind of the, the, the possibility. He locked the doors, and the only way to escape was through the sewer system. Pretty gross, right? Like I said, it gets... It gets pretty graphic. It lets you know what's going on. But he escapes that way. And then it says, Ehud was gone when Eglon's servants came. They looked and found the doors of the upstairs room locked and thought he was relieving himself, another euphemism, in the cool room. The servants waited until... Hold on, i got to pause because i, I got to say something that's probably inappropriate. He couldn't relieve himself. All his guts were on the floor. But anyways, um, just think about it. I mean, Yeah, he had been relieved. All his guts were on the floor. It's gross. If you're grossed out this week, I apologize. It's the Bible's fault. 
He escaped while the servants waited, crossed over, oh, back up a little bit, verse 25, the servants waited and they became worried and saw that he had not opened the doors of the upstairs room. So they took the key and opened the doors and there was their Lord lying dead on the floor. Verse 26, Ehud escaped while the servants waited. He crossed over the Jordan River near the carved images and reached Sarah. After he arrives, he sounded the ram's horn throughout the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came down with him from the hill country and became, he became their leader. So he becomes, God raised him as a judge, and he becomes their leader. So we see that he's a great leader, right? He's an assassin. He's a little bit more an assassin. He ends up uh, killing the king all by himself, right? He, he sends all the other people away, right? And he does it all by himself. And then he frees Israel. But if he had just killed the king, that wouldn't have freed him, right? He has to wage battle. So he kills the king, he gets the Israelites together, he takes them in, they're dismayed because their king is dead, and they end up winning. He raises up an army of Israelites. Then verse 28 says, He told them, Follow me because the Lord has handed over your enemies, the Moabites, to you. So they followed him, captured the fords of the Jordan, leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross over. So he was smart, right? He knew the river system. He knew how things worked. He knew that they couldn't escape. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all strong and able-bodied men. Not one of them escaped. Not one of them escaped. So not only does he show tremendous faith in God that they're going to be able to take him over, right? Their victory wouldn't have been guaranteed if it wasn't for God. But they vanquished the enemies. And then check this out in, in, in verse 30. Moab became subject to Israel that dry land uh, that day, and the land was peaceful for 80 years. 80 years, they get peace this time, right? They waited 18 instead of 8, and now they get 80 years of peace. And that's kind of where our story leaves off. And here's what I want you to, to, to think about. What was Ehud's advantage? He was left-handed. He was different. Now, God could have made him super strong. God could have gave him the ability to fly. God could have given him the x-ray vision to see through walls, right? God didn't do any of that. Instead, he used his disadvantage. And this is the thing. A lot of times we think, okay, God's got to kind of build up a hero. And we do see that. That does happen. But God often calls those who already exist. And that's your first point. God often calls those who already exist. Look up at the screens. It'll be up there in a second. God often calls those who already exist. So he didn't just find someone and then build them up with some sort of special power. He used what they already had, right? He used that his, his left-handedness that normally would have made him unqualified for the mission. But this time it made him uniquely qualified because he could slip by. And what I want you to think about this week are what are some of your attributes that may be different from the majority that God could use in a positive way? How could you be like Ehud and use your disadvantage to your advantage for God's glory? Think about that this week. Two, too often we think that God can only work in obvious ways, right? It doesn't make sense for God to go through all this, right? He could have just stormed the castle. He could have done this, could have done that. Why raise up a judge from someone who is left-handed from a tribe whose name means son of my right hand to sneak in and do things this way, Right? That doesn't make sense. And a lot of times we think God can only do things in obvious ways. Like, this makes sense. God could do this, right? God could simply just do it this way. But instead, he goes kind of the back door. 
And I think the reason is God wants to subvert our expectations. He wants to exceed them, actually. Because God is not a tame God. He does what he wants in his ways. And if God was predictable, he wouldn't be God. So God does things his own way. He doesn't always do them in obvious ways. And three, even after small victories, we still need faith to keep fighting. So Ehud had killed the king. He could have been like, woo I did it. I'm done. He didn't. He immediately got an army together and said, we need to win. And they were at a disadvantage. They had been conquered for a reason. And even after he won the small victory, he had faith that God would help him win a bigger victory. And you're going to come across times in your life where you're going to get a small victory, right? Maybe you, you're not the world's biggest evangelist like Billy Graham or somebody, and you're not bringing people to the masses. But maybe you talk to somebody who was once an atheist, and now they're not quite so atheist. Maybe they're just agnostic now. Maybe they kind of believe in God, but not necessarily the God you believe in. Right? That's a small victory. But if you stop there, that's all you're going to get. If you trust that God can carry you through to bigger victories, maybe he'll save that person through what you're doing, through what you're saying. Maybe that person will go on to help 10 other people get saved. And that person, each one of those 10 people, get 10 more, and then 10 more, and then 10 more. Next thing you know, 10,000 people get saved because you won one small victory and didn't stop there. You had the faith to trust that God could win bigger victories that you could keep on fighting, right? God will tell us one day, good and faithful servant, right? You've done well. Well, do well to the best of your ability. Don't stop with those small victories, right? That would be like, woohoo, I learned to tie my shoe, but I'm not going to learn how to dress myself in other ways, right? I'd be walking around with just shoes on. That's crazy. It's ridiculous. Or like, woohoo, I, I learned how to turn the flashers on on my car. That's not going to help you if you need to drive the whole thing, right? Small victories are good. Don't stop there. Have the faith to keep fighting. And what ways can you rely more on your faith too? Because Elihu really could have just said, you know what? I killed the king. I'm going to trust God to do the rest. But instead, he had the faith to know that God had something else. And that even though they had already lost many battles, he had the faith that God would allow them to win. So use your, use your faith. All right, we're almost done. We're going to sing our last song. Uh, as the band's coming up, I'm going to tell you this bonus story, okay? So I want you to remember those three things, and we'll come back to this. But I, I want you to get this, because there's just one verse on this guy, and I think it's still important. Verse 31, we get to the next judge, and then it's pretty much over. After Ehud, Shamgar, son of Anath, became a judge, and he delivered Israel by striking down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. What is that? It's like a cattle prod, basically, with a sharp end. And this guy took out 600 Philistines with one. That was the next judge. And it's kind of like a small victory, right? But God was still able to use that. How is that a small victory? 600 compared to 10,000 is pretty small. Yeah. Right? So God delivered it again. And we only get a little bit about this guy. But what we know is another cycle happens. Even when God delivers them again, this guy Shamgar becomes a judge they still continue this cycle. So this time, God was able to use something supernatural. And I don't want you guys to discount that God can do something supernatural. You know, a lot of times we think, oh, miracles are only for when Jesus was around. That's not true. Miracles happen every day. You just have to be there to look at them, to see them, 
and have faith in them. So have faith. Remember, God calls those who already exist. You exist. Congratulations. God can use you. It's the only requirement. You exist and you submit to him. The other thing is we often think God can only work in the obvious ways. God can only work in me if I do this. No, God could work in you in a lot of other ways. Think about the many things that make you unique. Think about how God can use those things. Maybe you're not talented in the way other people are talented or gifted in the way other people are gifted. Maybe you can't play an instrument. Maybe you can't sing that well, but maybe you're really good at making food. Think of how many people you could witness to by making them food. Maybe there's something quirky about you, right? Maybe you're really good at solving a Rubik's Cube or something. Maybe you're really good at yo-yoing. I don't know. But how could God use that? How could God use your quirkiness in the same way that he used Ehud's? Maybe you're left-handed. How can God use your left-handedness? I don't know. But pray and be faithful that he can. And remember that God can win big victories, so don't settle for a small one. Let's pray. God, this last song that we sing to you, let it be a response from us. You love us. You don't leave us. God, sometimes you do things that don't make sense. Like you'll leave 99 sheep to go find one that's lost. And God, maybe there's one that's lost here tonight. And God, you haven't forgotten about them. So I pray that during this time, during this song, if any of them need to respond to you in any way, if they need to receive Christ for the first time, or they just want to know what that means, or God, if they've fallen away from you, they need to come back. Pray that they would come to me or one of the other leaders, slip out of the aisles and come talk to us about that. And if not, then we'll just sing and respond with this song. I pray for these students, God, that they, you would lift them up, that you would fill them up, that you would allow them to see how their different quirks and what makes them unique can be used to grow your kingdom. Grow them and grow this church, Father. Grow us together as we all seek to serve you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from The Young Church. You can stay connected with us by following us on social media or feel free to stop by one week to our Young Church service on Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at Olive Branch Baptist Church. If you have any questions about this week's message or want to share how it touched your life, send an email to yc at obbcblackridge.com.